0: this is Beats and Risers. Hey there, it's Tusker, and welcome to Beats and Risers, the podcast where I speak with electronic music producers to learn about their creative approach, workflow, and production techniques with the goal of inspiring and motivating you to make more and better music. This is episode one and today my guest is Trap Jesus, aka Luke Rain. He is at Luke Rain Music on Twitter and Instagram and SoundCloud. He's a producer, engineer, songwriter, and DJ involved with iStandard and Bounce Gang. He's also a sensei and mentor at Producer Dojo, and along with being the Dojo's resident reason expert, he's curated several ciphers and recently guest-presented one of the weekly downloads, number 148, on Industry Etiquette, which, if you're a member of the weekly download, I highly recommend that you check out. As Trap Jesus, he's spreading the grimy gospel and preaching psychedelic psalms from the Backwoods Bible. As Luke Rain, he's swinging big katanas and dropping heavy bass across electronic genres. And you can hear his track, Katanas, on Ill Gates Presents The Class of 808, Volume 3. In our conversation today, we talk about speeding up your production workflow with timers, the necessity of reframing your focus as a producer, how industry events have been a game changer for his life and career, and much more. So here it is, my conversation with Trap Jesus, a.k.a. Luke Rain, on Beats and Risers. Trap Jesus, a.k.a. Luke Rain, welcome to Beats and Risers. Thank you for joining me today.
1: Hey, thank you, and you're welcome.
0: Let's start back at the very beginning, and I want to talk to you about where your love of music began. What was sort of the spark that got you into music and eventually wanting to produce music of your own?
1: Man, uh, how how early we want to start on this question. I mean, when I was like two and three, my dad was blasting Huey Lewis in the news, hearing those great vocals and harmonies and guitar and sax solos, I started learning all the words to the songs and I remember for first grade my mom always loves to tell the story how I showed up and sang their track working for a living and in the first verse like first day of first grade the first verse of the song I choose to sing at show and tell says damned if you do damned if you don't (laughs) supposed to get a raise next week and no damn well I won't (laughs) working for a living and apparently just all the parents jaws drop and they're all looking at my mom like "Mm," side eye (laughs) so then we go back that far you know when i was five i got a little casio keyboard for my birthday that i love jamming out on a little bit i never really learned it um, but i love the dog sounds and the lasers and the lion roar on it you know on the pads
0: (laughs) all about the presets on those casio keyboards
1: Hey, amen to that. And had, they had the little, like the little, like you know, they would play like Chopin or or Mozart or Beethoven if you put it on the demo mode, and it would be like Mozart playing, and then just like, arf arf arf. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so beyond when you were really young, how did you get to eventually wanting to dive deeper into music?
1: Man, uh just by chance, man, you know, I love music. I've memorized rap lyrics from the time I was a little kid and you know, I would like weird out rewrite lyrics. Uh, you know, parody songs and stuff, uh, singing for my friends. And then uh, my buddy Lawrence Epps, who I've known since that first grade class, he actually uh, hit me up one day after school. Like, you know, we were like leaving leaving school and he's like, it's like maybe 10th grade. He's like, yo bro, like come over to my house. I got this program called Fruity Loops and Fruity, he had a Fruity Loops demo. Couldn't even save, but he also had Acid Pro. And we would like, make little loops in FL demo and bounce them each out individual tracks and then use acids like loop arrangement to build to arrange tracks. So that's how I started right there. (laughs) That's the genesis.
0: Wow. So how long ago was that roughly?
1: Oh, man. I mean, to really date myself, that was... 18 years ago. Wow.
0: So nearly two decades, really, in music production. Yeah. So you produce music as Trap Jesus and also as Luke Rain. What, what is the difference between the two aliases for you? And how did they come about?
1: I'll just continue the story where I left off. Uh, I started soon after I started making my own beats. I had a little beat CD, you know, my first like 10, 20 beats, whatever it was. And I gave them to a couple of friends and then I'm riding in my friend's car and he says, oh, you got to check this out. Press this play. It's my beat. And there's some dude rapping on it. And it turns out it was his friend, another dude. Both of these guys are still good friends of mine, but he, he's like, yeah, man, we're rapping. We're making a rap CD. You know, think this song is going to be on it. And I was like, shit, if they can do it, I can do it. So I started writing my own raps. Me and my buddy, he went to his parents and, and asked for like, got his Christmas and birthday presents put together and got like an inbox and pro tools and a mic and and we started recording and i had the same little setup <laughs> but then uh years you know fast forward after that years later uh, i'm doing my solo thing rapping as el agua but nobody can figure out how to pronounce that shit and uh <laughs> somebody i was talking to at the time about music business was like well what if you just use your name and i was like no nah, i don't want to use my government name They're like well what's your middle name i was like rain and they're like, wait, what? Your middle name is Rain? I'm like, oh, damn. I never thought of it like that. Luke Rain. Boom. And so Luke Rain was born. It was my rap ego. It was my rap moniker for like a hot minute, you know? Luke motherfucking Rain has stickers everywhere. Uh, But then after like a hot minute of, of making my own beats and being the rapper and playing a ton of shows in Seattle and the surrounding area, kind of got tired of it. And that's like right when I found out about this company, iStandard who uh, it was at my first ASCAP Expo way back in 2013. And iStandard blew my mind. They were putting on producer shows where you get up and you play five beats that you cut down to a minute. So you get like a five minute little hit them hard. And what's the best you got? And they had like real industry judges like A&Rs and famous producers sitting right there in front of you, giving you direct feedback. And I was like, holy shit, I need to be a part of this
0: It's like the musical elevator pitch almost.
1: Yeah, pretty much, man. And I was like, wow, these guys are getting feedback. Like, I've just been doing this shit in my basement. Like, you know, by the time I like get on the stage, I can tell if people like it. But like, it'd be so dope to like play people my beats and get advice. You know, way before I heard a producer dojo and 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 linked up with Gates and really got like coached. But. The fact that I found that really uh, had a big impact on my life because iStandard not only like really accelerated my production learning with all this great advice and the community I found there. A bunch of people who were my best friends came from that community and my my greatest mentors in my life. Shout out to Jay Hatch and Don Dunapoli and Sis over there at iStandard and the whole team. Everybody, too many people, to, you know that that worked for the company and that that I met through the company to even name. But I was at one of their battles in 2016 in L.A. It was the Beast of the Beats, their big year-end finals. It was in L.A. that year. And I win my first-round matchup, which was dope because the year before, I got smacked by my homie in the first round. He basically embarrassed me. It was great. (laughs) guy's still a friend of mine. Shouts out to Dom P. But uh, then I get off stage after winning the first round in 2016, and – this dude's like, Oh my God, you're trapped Jesus. You know, since I quit rapping, I quit cutting my hair and shaving. And all of a sudden I had this like budding Jesus look. And this guy's like, oh, he made a rap beat. He's Jesus. it's trapped Jesus. Oh shit. <laughs> and everybody started calling me that. And for like, for like five months, people kept like, it was a joke online, but like the first night, you know, he called me Trap Jesus the second night a cardiac flatline, who's like a producer that works with Dr. Dre produces for like Kendrick and everybody, you know, like he was the judge and he remembered trap Jesus. He didn't know who the hell Luke rain was, but he knew who trap Jesus was. So like five months later, I'm at another I standard event called beat camp in Dallas. And I run into cardiac again. He's one of the presenters and he's like, bro, how are you not running with this trap Jesus thing? Like, how is that not your Instagram? How is that not like everything you're doing? It's such a good brand. You have to run with it. And I'm like, oh my God, like this dude who has done everything I already want to do in the music industry is <laughs> giving me personal advice. I'm going to take it. So I sat down in a chair in the corner and literally like typed in Trap Jesus related Instagram names for like 20 minutes. So I found what would Trap Jesus do was free. <laughs> so at what would Trap Jesus do, holla at me on the gram. <laughs>
0: Wow. So that was like, you kind of fell into it, basically. But I mean, if it if it's stuck for half a year, and people are still like, how are you not trap Jesus, like everyone's calling you that?
1: Yeah, so I said, okay, I got the IG, and then I got a logo. Shouts out to the one and only Levitate for doing the graphics on that. He doesn't even do graphics for other people anymore because he's too busy making his own killer stuff that we uh, made a blog article about, if you want to check it out, on producerdojo.com. And then, yo, shouts out to iStandard again. So after, you know, this is just a couple months ago in early May, I'm sitting there back in L.A., back at another iStandard event, back at ASCAP Expo, and... I play my beats last, dead last. Everybody got like two, three minutes of talking after their five minutes of music. These people straight up went on. And these are like, like one of them's Amadeus, like makes beats for Puff Daddy and all his artists. Another one is the head of Urban at ASCAP. And another one is Gary Leon at a and at Atlantic. And all of them are giving me the advice like, bro, the stuff you're playing is really good, but it doesn't make sense with Trap Jesus like this whole set of music with stuff I was making for the dojo. That's what I was working on at the time. So I had all this EDM stuff, you know, like some dubstep, some glitch hops, some future bass, you know, all this stuff I'm experimenting with right now that I'm really proud of the music, but they're like, there's a disconnect between the name and the sound. And I was like, damn, I could have come with trap stuff. And this wouldn't have even been a, an argument right now. But I was like, all good. Cause they just gave me like 10 minutes of free airtime on the mic in a crowded room full of my peers saying trap Jesus like 50 times, <laughs> you know, like, all right, free advertising. Thanks guys. And then, but then like two days later, I'm at the dojo at Ill Gates standing there playing him some of my new tracks to get his advice and or approval for the, the projects Therefore, for. And he's like, man, this is really dope. I really like it. But where's the trap and where's the Jesus? Like, I I like it, but it doesn't have a Trap Jesus thing, so it's hard to release it as a Trap Jesus track. And I was like, hmm, what if it's a Luke Rain track? It's like, yeah, that would work. That doesn't come with that, like, trap connotation and the Jesus connotation attached attached to it. And I was like, good, because I already have the Spotify account, the IG, the Facebook, the Twitter, the email, everything. The YouTube, it's all set up. And so it was like, back in the day when I first made the Trap Jesus account, I felt silly for not just transferring that account over to the Luke Rain account, just changing the name and starting with my like 1,100 followers or whatever I had on IG. I was like, damn, I started at zero. But things work out funny. I wondered at the time why I hadn't done that. And then three years later, I realized, oh, it's so it would be waiting for me when I decided to need Luke Rain again.
0: There it is. It makes a lot of sense because then you've got... You've got Trap Jesus, where if you're producing this trap banger, you've got the brand essentially to really make an impact with that. Mm-hmm. And then on the other side, you still have the freedom to have, you know, you're not boxed into one genre, you still have the freedom to create in whatever genre really under, under Luke Rain.
1: Yeah, yeah, Luke Rain is like weird bassy music. And I like I'll hit any tempo, I'll hit any you know any groove, any key doesn't matter.
0: <laughs> I love how that came full circle for you, basically. Yeah. In terms of like finding your artist identity.
1: <laughs> yeah, I can't wait to see what the next full circle will bring.
0: You're part of uh, several collectives. You mentioned I standard, but I've got to ask you about producer dojo. Hey. Yeah. Shouts out to the dojo.
1: Yeah. Yes, I am. a am a producer dojo sensei.
0: How did you find the dojo and Bill
1: Gates? Another wonderful happenstance, man. It was like it was meant to be. I was up till 3am on a studio session, you know, trying to make beats, trying to make songs, trying to experiment with new stuff and feeling stuck, feeling blocked, feeling like I'm not No matter how many YouTube videos I watch, no matter how many articles I read on blogs, I'm still not accelerating as fast as people I see, like kicking my butt in beat battles. And I went to bed kind of upset. So, of course, I couldn't sleep. And I'm just lying there with my eyes open. I say, do what any good millennial would do. I grab my phone and get back on Facebook. And the third thing or so down my feed is this dude with green hair talking about, yo, are you a producer who's feeling stuck? Do you need a breakthrough? Do you need to figure out how your workflow could work better for you? Well, I've got a seminar. It's a webinar. It's free. It's tomorrow. <laughs> uh Duh, I'm going to do that. And by the end of the – I think it was the Breakthrough Workshop. By the end of the Breakthrough Workshop, I had taken, like, nine pages of notes. And then he gave, you know, what's, of course, like a great, you know, breakdown of of what the dojo offers. Like, damn, if they give this much for the free. And then he's talking about the weekly download plus the classes and the feedback. And what really got me, that EDM cookbook. That's – oh, my God. Like, you know, I think that's maybe – One of the most underrated pieces of content in the dojo, which is why we just reorganized the dojo in the belt system to make sure that before anybody's even like allowed to start trying to release on the mixtapes on the label. You have to have gone through all of those recipes with a mentor, gotten some advice and so that you understand all those building blocks because that, oh my God. You know, not to mention the relationships, man, I'm just I'm just waxing poetic about producer dojo. Feel free to guide this rant any direction you would like. (laughs) Change my life.
0: Yeah. and, And my experience mirrors yours. I found the dojo through a Facebook ad as well, and I tried producing On my own and I would quit in the middle of tracks every single time because they don't sound the way that I would imagine they would sound on the radio or in the club or in my head even right and. It's through that through that practice and through that repetition and mm. just knocking down those those roadblocks that we put up inside our own heads that you can actually make some really cool stuff. And and yeah, the dojos had a really positive effect on my production as well.
1: Yes, you said knocking down the roadblocks in our own heads. Preach my dude. that is that's a gem right there.
0: Since joining the dojo, you've become a sensei, as we mentioned earlier. And in your time in the dojo, you've curated uh, a couple of the mixtapes. Tell us a little bit about the general concept for listeners who maybe aren't familiar with the producer dojo, ciphers, or mixtapes.
1: The ciphers are our first step, the first stage of getting your music out to the public through the producer dojo umbrella. Obviously, you know, people release tracks for their own SoundClouds and their own Spotify's as they choose, but to release to the dojo, we want you to go through the steps. So, you know, start, you know, you start out as a white belt, you know, once you hit that, you know, do the whole getting started, do your first lesson, you get that yellow belt, then you complete your first song with, uh, you know, at least it doesn't have to be a good song, but you have to complete a full arrangement with some sensei feedback. You know, that's your orange belt then you complete all of the edm cookbook recipes all four of them with feedback that's your green belt once you have green belt you're eligible to start shooting for these mixtapes right and so every month we put up a new theme we did a, a partnership with splice and it was you, we got 150 samples that spider hound our head of anr he went through a lot of splice and found a bunch of dope samples that, that, covered a real wide genre and tempo and key range and, you know, different types of sounds. And everybody had to make their song using only those tracks, only those samples. You know, you could, you could add vocals if you felt like it, but so like, you know, a challenge like that. Right. And Spider-Ham was a curator of that one. And he goes through uh, giving feedback you know round after round of feedback to all the people who are participating in the cipher and and you know get some closer, help them polish the tracks until the point where there is a, a deadline and if your track is past the, the the threshold of quality that are that the curator has set for for him or herself, it's that point where they'll they'll make a cut and usually anywhere between like, 15 and 20 something tracks will get selected and uh, that curator will cut them into a mix and put them out on soundcloud under the producer dojo soundcloud and then that links back to every you know person's page everybody's promoting it 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 gets us heard by each other's fan bases which is super dope and and the dojo's fan base as well
0: Let's talk about the mixtapes, the ciphers that you curated, because there were two of them.
1: Yeah. So <laughs> both of them I fell into on accident, like just like everything else, just just being in the right place at the right time. We had a, a Sensei call. We do like monthly calls of the Sensei team to get on the same page. And we had one where the, the week is right after the weekly download and the download ran really late. Uh, I think it was Mr. Bill was on that week. So it was like they were just It's such a good episode. They didn't stop. So it was a little late. So some of the senseis couldn't get on the call. So there's only a couple of us on there. And Dylan's like, first order of business is, I am swamped, guys. I have been off way more than I can chew. I just got a couple more things on my plate. And this cypher is going to kill me if I have to do it all. And I was like, is there anything that I am not qualified to do? (laughs) And he's like, no, you can do all of this. I was like, Okay, I'll do it. So the moral of the story is, if you want bigger roles, show up and offer to help people who are busy and do the kind of things you want to do add value and then the other one the same thing uh dylan had started that one as well right around the same time he had planned to start them both and and they you know it was like they were just two ciphers away from each other uh so and and he got a whole bunch of a whole bunch of really cool stuff offered to him right then uh by you know stuff outside of the dojo it made sense you know uh He got to delegate some responsibilities to me. I got to learn how to do some new stuff. And those mixtapes are dope. The -the off-the-grid mixtape was super fun. Everybody made crazy, wonky cuts, bouncy, off-the-grid, super unquantized jams, some insane grooves in there. I love that one. Uh, And then the timer beat cypher, that really digs into a core principle of the dojos. Once you know how to do all the recipes, once you know all the building blocks of things, Work faster, man. Like Dylan t- teaches us get a workout timer that you can program your time and what the workout is and a like, good one will talk to you. And so you could like program it like five minutes, make chords and melodies. Five minutes, make bass lines. Five minutes, make buildup drums. Five minutes, make drums for the drop. Five minutes, make bass for the drop. Five minutes, make melodies on the drop. And then in 30 minutes, I've just put together the entire build-up and first drop of a song. At this point, I have an important decision to make. Does this suck or nah? (laughs) If it sucks, no worries. I just only spent 30 minutes on it. If it's dope, well, shoot. I got it started real quick. Now I can spend the rest of my studio session finishing it instead of starting it. (laughs) So the timer cipher, everybody had to put in their initial, like, their initial beat they had to video themselves in under two hours making the entire thing and bouncing it out you really had to work quick to make this a compelling concept or else the senseis we would say nah that's not gonna work just try a new timer beat you know if it really wasn't coming together as a concept and that was dope because so many people got to just try to work faster. And a few people, like a lot of people had to try multiple beats. I actually did multiple beats. I just didn't turn the first one in because I was the, you know, I was the curator at that point. So it was like, you know, I was like, well, I already know I don't like this beat. I'm just going to start another one right now. And the second one I made, I really liked. (laughs) So that one became The Time Is Nigh eventually after a whole bunch of reworks.
0: Nice, and that really illustrates what the dojo is all about, and just providing a structure and a framework to work off of. Sometimes making those constraints can make all the difference in in the difference between getting something done, even if it's not at all what you imagined, versus sitting there stuck trying to make the perfect thing.
1: Oh yeah, man! You bring up some great points there, bro. A, I stopped imagining what I was gonna make as much. Like hardly ever do I sit down with like an idea. Usually I'll like get ideas for like like a lyric or a pre-drop vocal that would be dope. And I'll like write it in my phone or like and maybe make a voice note. And then if it's a good pre-drop vocal, it'll pop up in my head every once in a while. And then eventually I'll be making a beat that wasn't supposed to sound like anything and I'll be like, oh damn, it works for that hook. And then perfection. Uh, one, there's no such thing as the perfect snare. There's no such thing as a perfect patch. There's no such thing as the perfect mix or the perfect master, or the perfect track. Shit gets better and it's all iterative. Work on making it better and then bounce it out and wait a little while and do something else. And then if you get some good advice from a sensei or a friend or you just listen back and you hear something better, you know, make it a little better. And then at a certain point, just realize that, I'm only as good as I am today I'm only as skilled as I am today and I have no reasonable expectation to be any better than I currently am and this song is a reflection of that there are things in here that I'm doing well things in here I know I can improve on things in here I don't even know I'm doing wrong because I haven't learned about that concept yet so take it as an honest representation of what I can do for today, hopefully get some good advice on it, and move on to another project where I'll learn a whole new set of lessons. And if this is such a dope idea that six months from now, it's still bothering me that I never finished it, I can come back with six months worth of skills and actually finish that track. Like, I do that all the time. I'll go into I have folders on folders of unfinished sessions. I'll be like on an airplane or at an airport somewhere where I can't really do real production. And I just start opening these files. What was this one? What was this one? I just like, I did that on the plane the other day on my way home from LA and I found like seven beats in an old folder. I'm not sure when it was from, but I just like, you know, seven beats that I had started and never finished. And I've got a few places that want me to give them beats for sync licensing this month. So I'm just going to finish all of them and then figure out which folder they each belong in. And thank God I waited because I couldn't do the mixes that well six months or a year ago. And I didn't have anywhere to put them.
0: <laughs> and I think that all comes back to that, you know, just breaking down those mental barriers that we place upon ourselves, you know, when we're we're thinking that it's got to turn out perfect or it's got to turn out a certain way. And the going into it saying, OK, here's my timer. I'm just going to start doing, I'm not even going to follow anything. I'm just going to start doing and let things fall into place instead of trying to force them.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah, man. I mean, just do your best. (laughs) That's really it. You know, like expecting better than our best is I think what really bums most producers out, you know, like not only has Bass Nectar been doing this like longer than most of the producers trying to do this shit have been alive. Like, I accidentally saw Bass Nectar in 2007. That dude was already making sounds I still don't know how to make. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, if I compare myself to him all the time, plus he's got Seth Drake mixing his shit now. So it's like, what am I really going to do? Like, it's two super geniuses teamed up to make the loudest thing I've ever heard in concert. Shouts out to Summer Meltdown in Washington. God damn, that was a good show. Bass Nectar, you killed it. <laughs> but, you know, if I compare myself to him every time, you know, I would be bummed out all the time. But instead, all I got to do, you know, I want to reference against really dope stuff so I can try and get my mix sounding closer to it. But what I really do is I'll just scroll back down my iTunes and start clicking on beats I made a while back and realize, oh, shit. Yeah, I'm getting better. Don't worry. I see I see how much better I've gotten since a year ago. It's OK. So just bounce it out and leave it alone for a while. If it didn't go anywhere, it's OK. Just put in your iTunes. You'll find it again. If it's dope, you'll remix it later.
0: So are timer beats now at the core of your regular workflow? And how often do you sit down at your DAW to start a, a timer beat?
1: Now, if I'm just starting a beat just off like off nothing, especially. Yeah, just if I'm just starting a beat, it's almost always a timer beat these days. I've got a few timers on my phone that I really like. I've got a melodic build timer that's made me some of my favorite beats I've ever made that you know, some of them turned into my favorite EDM songs I've ever made. And then uh, I'm really working with the, like, closer to Gates Magic Timer. I'm doing a few variations on that. He's got some speed and some MIDI devices that are pretty magical in helping him speed up, uh, speed up his process and, and obviously way more experienced than me, which is why I come to him for so much advice. <laughs> but uh, I watch him, he does the entire, like, he does it from, like, start chopping the sample all the way to arrange the shit in 30 minutes. I have one where I, I have one time where I chop the sample and then another one where I pre-chop the sample. If there's like an intricate amount of chopping that I want to do to a specific sample like I got to get the course over here and that one word I know about and like kind of arrange the track I'll just do that beforehand and then start the timer once I have those chops going and just start with like make a bunch of loops out of this chop. You know, uh, but then uh, other times I'll just be a little more cavalier about it. Throw a sample in, start my chop a sample one and just time myself really quickly. You know, it kind of depends how much I care about the sample, really. (laughs) But yeah, uh, so to actually answer your question, I probably make like three to five timer beats a week right now. On a good week, I part of me wants to make more beats, but the rest of me is really glad I have a broad base of things to do in music, including like all my duties as a sensei, where I'm helping other people with their music, which helps me learn a ton about music, having a more critical ear, and and understanding the concepts better and better, so I can so I can convey them. And so even though I'm spending less time making beats, I'm getting better at making beats, so I have higher quality beats. and I make them way faster with timers. So it evens out, you know what I mean? (laughs) And I'm probably still coming out ahead, even though I spend less time starting beats now than I used to. Uh, I spend a lot more time finishing beats, and I have like 10,000 unfinished beats on my hard drive. So if I ever run out of inspiration, I just go raid that folder. I have aptly named Sample Farm.
0: (laughs) (laughs) What do you do if you find yourself feeling creatively stuck or if you find yourself distracted or losing focus when you're in a session.
1: If I'm with other people, I usually like take the session outdoors. Trying to be like, Hey guys, let's all go for like a little walk outside. We're at my house. Just like into the backyard. I got a nice little yard, a little lawn and a garden back there. Um, So it's like pretty chill, Uh, maybe smoke a bowl or something, you know, just get, get the conversation back up and then walk back into the studio with fresh ears. If I'm by myself And, you know, a a, a track falters like that, you know, I just kind of let it go at this point, man. I I just put the pause on it and start doing any of one of the 10,000 other things that you have to do to be a successful music producer. I mean, you know, like aside from like I could just go, you know, do some of my dojo work, you know, like I could start answering emails. I could do some social media, you know, every once in a while I will make a new template palette. So for these timer beats, by the way, 30 minutes, I don't have to look for a single sound. Otherwise this would be impossible. You know, people like, how do you make a beat in 30 minutes? It's impossible. No. I spent all my time looking for sounds last month and the month before and the month before that. So I have like six months straight running. Every month I make a new like overstuffed sound palette. It has tons of drum kits, bass and eight oh eight sounds, tons of instruments, you know, keys, pads, leads all sorts of shit. And I just make a different set of sounds that I go each month. And now I can just start a beat. And it's like, which month's palette do I want to start with? February's dope. Let's go. Shouts out to February has a bunch of sounds I made with Vaden, another dojo rock star ninja. (laughs) Shouts out to Vaden.
0: Right on. And I love the idea of, you know, rather than trying to make the perfect palette or the perfect template, Maybe just just trying something different for a month, because you can even guide your own musical progression based on whatever you're feeling when you're gathering samples or when you're gathering presets and doing sound design, things like that. I love
1: that. hmm. I mean, yeah, use use yourself as your own. Be your own curator. That's how I want to put it. Be your own curator like. Famous producers have teams of people that work with them doing different things. Like, for example, Timbaland uh, used to work heavily with a dude named Sound Oracle, who is a super dope sound designer and sound curator. And he's also, you know, he's a dope producer and engineer in his own right. So he's got these lit sounds. So he would just make sure there was always cool new stuff on hand to pique Timbaland's ear. Timbaland would go, oh, crap, that sounds crazy. Put that over here. Let me chop it up. You know, so it's like be your own sound oracle. Spend some time before you sit down to make beats and go through that new drum pack and put their favorite instruments on your favorite sounds and one shots on drum racks. If you get an 808 that you just really like the sound and tone of, put it in a sampler so you can play it on the keys. Save that patch. Make a folder full of patches you like. Once you have a bunch of patches, save them all in a session template. And then you can just hit go and have all the sounds you could possibly need. Now, that spark is something that you could bring different to each beat making session, you know, like have some cool sound that you found. You're like, this is going to be the centerpiece sound of my track. It's either I'm going to sample this track and remix it or I'm going to take that that patch I just got, you know, the new serum patch or whatever. Or, or that patch I just made or tweaked, you know, like I got it just how I would do it off of the preset. And now I'm going to start this track, pull up this whole, every backup sound you could possibly need times five <laughs> and then make a track. And that way you can use it since you have five times as many sounds as you need to make a track. It's like impossible to make the same beat twice out of that palette. Like eventually you might get tired of like a patch or two, but the rest is just like hi hats and, and, you know, kicks. And if you get tired of that kick, replace it.
0: <laughs> Nothing that you couldn't swap out if you really felt the need to to change it up.
1: Amen. And do I go back into those palettes, I'll open them up and I'll be like, Oh, right. In January, I was still doing that silly shit. I was still using that silly preset. I don't like that on my reverb anymore. And I'll like, replace it and resave it with my new reverb on the send or whatever, you know, like, update your shit too. like, that's another great thing to do. When you're feeling like people always talk about beat block, I don't really think about that anymore because I'm just so busy with other shit that it's like sometimes I'll like purposefully not do anything creative for a few days and just like get all of my administrative stuff, all my email inbox way down, make sure all my track feedback's done, everything possible all lined up. And then by the end of that two, three days, I'm like itching to do some timer beats. Like, my subconscious is, like, yelling, be creative! And then, like, my illness shit pops out. (laughs) Because, like, I I don't have anything else on my mind. All the little bullshit is taken care of, you know? (laughs) And then the creativity just is ready.
0: It's kind of like you know, you can't control the weather. So if it's raining outside, you can't do any work outside, move it inside and do something else that's going to that's going to still be productive and get something done. And kind of the same thing with music. If you can't, if actually making the track is not going to work out for you for whatever reason, then, you know, take that energy and do some prep work or make some kind of effort to move forward. And it doesn't always have to be, Oh, I've got to make the perfect song.
1: Yeah. And here's something like figure out how to be a music business person. Like ask yourself some questions when you're feeling beat block. Do I have an ASCAP account? Do I know what an ASCAP is? (laughs) If, is if, if my music makes money, how do I collect it? How does it get to me? Like these are great questions to ask yourself and Google and YouTube and all that stuff has some great answers for you.
0: And on the topic of timer beats, tell me a little bit about you can choose. Like I have one that I'm thinking of that I'm wondering if you'll talk about, but you I'll leave it up to you to to choose the one you want to speak to. But tell me about a track that you produced under some kind of constraint. And that could be time or that could be the theme of a cipher for instance. And how did it come to fruition from that constraint?
1: Man, uh, I need to know which one you're talking about. Man, that's all I can think about. Now.
0: <laughs> okay, so the standout one for me is probably spell my name from cipher eight.
1: Yeah, man, that was a big one for me. Um, man, so the constraint on that one was it was weird. You know, it was like the least constrained cipher up to that point. The a lot of the other ones like do it this BPM and this key and focus on like this skill like that was cypher four it was called cypher four was called movement and it was like you can't let a sound just be static it has to evolve as it goes or else it's boring so dylan did a bunch of whatever but that one there was like no bp it was the first time there was no bpm no key so it was like in a way unconstrained but it had to be your superhero theme song as an artist like it has to be the one you could press play on first in your set, in a live set, and be like, this is who I am. This is what I came to do. And so for me, it was like, all right, the example track was Ill Gates, I'm Eel, Say My Name. You know, like that one is crazy. Like it's got all these samples. It's got, starts out with Breaking Bad sample and then it moves into Beyonce and Lil Wayne and then every other person with their voice chopped up to say what Ill Gates wanted him to say. And so I took that and I'm like, all right, I started going through my iTunes and grabbing any song I could think of that had the lyrics trap or Jesus in them. And then at one point I realized that I, was, I wanted to spell the name and I realized Biggie said, I'm gonna spell my name one more time, check it. And he's got that US, which I could use for the end of Jesus. So I was like, then I was just like going through all these different tracks, like, like searching Jay-Z tracks and listen to a Jay-Z track so I could get a really good J and listen to easy E tracks, trying to find a good E, you know? (laughs) Uh, So I just piled all of these sounds in there at first. That was my first phase. I just piled all of these sounds in the DAW and just chopped out the little bits that I knew would kill it. Oh, actually, you know, before that, pardon me, before I even realized Biggie, I realized Young Jeezy. I'm a T-R-A-P-S-T-R. I was like, that's a jam. And he's already got half my name spelled right there. <laughs> so uh, so it started with that. And then I found the US from Notorious. And then I realized I'm going to spell my name one more time was in there. So I just started like building it like that. I'm going to spell my name one more time. Check it. T-R-A-P-J-E-S-U-S. And so I had that little chunk. And then I started putting, you know, like the Jesus walks chunk together having the Jesus as the response in the different notes and then trying to find different things that would work in between the Jesus'es for the call you know and like just putting together and then I had like leftovers so you know so that kind of makes the that makes the verse and the drop you know the the trap Jesus spelling is the drop and and the, the other parts of the verse and as Dylan teaches us you have three reasons to have a section in the song to cause tension to give relief or to throw a curveball you know so the release is given by that drop spelling the name the the tensions are caused by you know the verse having a little less that we know is leading back to it and then you have those extra samples lying around so you don't what to do it that are a little different and you make different sections out of those that's your bridge that's your outro right there so <laughs> you know it's about just kind of like any of this. You pile a limited number of sounds together and say, What can I make out of this? And then once I had all of that lined up, then I was like, I already have half of the beat, the hi-hats, the snares are mostly in there. So it's like I already knew where a lot of this stuff was just because it's contained in the samples. And so then I just had to augment with a few, you know, heavier drum sounds, the 80 I don't think there was actually I don't think I actually used any sense at all in that whole track. I think it was pretty much just all all wave samples. Damn.
0: (laughs) That's amazing. Yeah, like I, I love the track. And when you listen to it, you hear this rich tapestry is kind of the best way I can put it of just Sample after sample, but uh, it's it's fun hearing the story about where you where you found some of them. Some of them you can kind of identify, but I didn't realize that you pulled the spelling from all those different tracks.
1: Yeah, I'm trying to remember who I got the real e. The the e I was trying to get from easy e didn't really work, and I, I got it from somewhere else, but it's completely escaping me. Hmm. But whatever, I, I did sample Star Wars, and I did sample Ti, and I sampled Tupac and Biggie. And Jay-Z. <laughs> and Jeezy. <G-Z. laughs> Man, so I'm a hip-hop pet, if you could tell, that loves EDM. So that's, that's how a lot of my stuff is really set up.
0: Hey, I hope you're enjoying this conversation with Trap Jesus, a.k.a. Luke Rain. I just want to take a moment to ask that, if you are, I'd really appreciate if you'd leave a written review on Apple Podcasts. Reviews on Apple Podcasts are a great way, especially with this podcast being new, to help build some momentum. So if you're enjoying the show, please take a minute, head on over to Apple Podcasts, search for Beats and Risers, and leave a review. Thanks so much, everyone. And now, back to my conversation with Trap Jesus, a.k.a. Luke Rain. What advice would you give to a new producer specifically as something that they shouldn't do or a piece of advice that they should ignore?
1: Oh, man, I mean, kind of what we've been talking about, really, like, avoid perfectionism and speed up. Ilgates Gates loves to use this pottery class metaphor that I had heard, like, once before, but the way Ilgates Gates used it in that breakthrough workshop really stuck with me and it's part of the reason I really knew I needed to sign up for the, <laughs> for the class of 808. away. But he said, like, imagine a pottery class everybody on the left side, you're graded only on quality. I only need to see one pot at the end of the semester, but it better be perfect if you want an A. Everybody on the right side, you're graded only on quantity. 50 pots is an A, 40 pots is a B, etc. At the end of the class, who had better pots. What do you think?
0: I'm thinking it's quantity.
1: Boom, because you've been in the dojo. People who just showed up to the dojo usually go the quality side because they've been taking the wrong advice. They're like, no, it's all about quality, not quantity. doesn't matter how much you make, you got to make good shit. That's a strategy for releasing, not for writing. Write everything, write every day, write faster, write faster than that, write more than that, write more than that. Then, you will start to come up with some stuff after you've made like hundreds of attempts that is like actually kind of dope. And somewhere in the middle there, you'll come up with some really good ideas and a bunch of crappy ideas and it's okay. None of your mixes will be good yet. <laughs> so then like a couple of years in, once you've really been studying your mixing and really getting your chops down, then you can like go back and look at those old ideas and go, oh, this one worked, this one worked. But just like, you gotta put in the quantity before you get to the quality. You need your 10,000 hours. They all gotta be quality hours. If you were half-assing it and on Instagram, most of the time you were quote unquote producing for those 10,000 hours, you're mostly just like a master at looking at at thirst (laughs) traps
0: it's you know it's just all about trying different attempts and making peace with the idea that you might hate what you make at the end of the day but it's at least a step closer to making something that you will love
1: worst case scenario it's like you went to the gym and you put in some reps you got stronger you learned some shit best case scenario you also got a cool ass beat Totally, you know, like either way, go show up because it's the gym show up because it's where you work show up because it's what you do, not because of what you might get out of it. That's that's some really good advice I give anybody starting out. If you want to be in music because you think you'll get paid or because you think it'll be a quick road to do something else. Stop now. Do literally anything else. You have to be crazy to do this for your life. You have to be crazy about music. Doing it all the time because it's what you do, then leverage away once you're good to turn that shit into a career, not the other way around.
0: (laughs) Moving on to the career side of things, what's been one of the best investments you've made, either an item or an experience for your own creative
1: success? The two best investments I've ever made have been the class of 808 and traveling to music community events get out into the national music community find the other people who are down to catch a flight to meet some people who are down to catch a flight to meet some people because that's where you find the real dedicated people man that's the investment in myself that has taken me the furthest like yeah I found out about the producer dojo a year and a half ago and nine months in I got hired as a sensei. That looks crazy to somebody just starting at the producer dojo. But before I even heard of the dojo, I had like six straight years of going to i standard events, getting direct feedback on my stuff, watching tons of people who are Better and worse than me, get tons of feedback on their stuff and learning by Hearing something, being like, what's that? And having a professional producer describe why that shit wasn't working and being like, oh, that's what I was hearing. And then making a whole community of friends out of it, man. Like, you know, we've talked a bunch about I Standard and Producer Dojo, but I gotta shout out Bounce Gang, which would not have happened without iStandard. Bounce Gang is a crew of us who are all. Uh, the, the original class, we were all at Beasts of the Beats 2017, met each other, you know, had some really good relationships and good vibes and started a collective. You know, we helped teach each other. It's, you know, kind of like a, a friendship-based producer dojo as opposed to this one where it's like an actual school. You know, it's a, it's an actual dojo where we have a structure. You know, this is like a group of homies that all give each other advice and share resources, you know, like, I wouldn't know any of these people if I hadn't left my hometown and gone to their hometowns and showed up at the events in their hometown, or like sat down next to people to do a sample flip Saturday and like, all right, everybody's flipping the same sample. Who's this guy to my right? I don't know. Some kid. Well, shit. Two years later, that's one of my best friends. Like I sleep on his couch and shit, <laughs> you know, like shout out to Igami. <laughs>
0: That's awesome. And I remember another podcast interview you did on Beats Grind and Life, where you mentioned that that's something that you try to do several times a year.
1: Once a month. Once a month, I have to leave Seattle for music for a week. Wow. Yeah, man. It built up to that. You know, first it was like, well, man, I can afford to do this one thing. Oh, I can afford to do one more thing. Hey, I'm going to definitely do that thing again next year. Hey, I found out about another thing. I'll do that every year too. And then it just kind of grew from there. You know, all of a sudden I had like five, six events I definitely wanted to be at. And I was like, all right, well, what can I do in the month with no event? Oh, I'll just go down to LA anyways. I got a bunch of friends there now because I kept showing up for all the events. I'll just go down to Atlanta because they're having a writing camp that I got invited to when I was down there at some other events. And then because I'm going down to Atlanta, I'll hit up that person I met when I was there for a different event And ask them if I can DJ at their event. And all of a sudden, like, half of my plane ticket got paid for by that DJ gig. All thanks to networking.
0: That's cool. So it's it's kind of a snowball effect. You know, putting yourself, the value of putting yourself out there and just giving something unfamiliar a try. Going someplace where maybe you don't even know anyone, but you just know the fact that everyone's super into music the way you are. And just making those connections and getting to know people and and seeing where where the journey takes you.
1: Yeah, amen. And, and you said something like getting to know people. A lot of people look at networking as like business card collection, you know? But coming from a guy who has like a thousand business cards in his studio and never looks at any of them, that doesn't matter. What matters is who did you become friends with? Like show up and find the people you would be friends with anyways. And then it turns out you're also super passionate about the same niche hobby music production how lit or or even better they're a singer or a lyricist or somebody else who can like you know no matter who they are it's synergy man like I've I've been having this conversation with a lot of my students lately, and and like I had a great conversation with Dante the other night on on one of our video sessions, and he was asking, you know, what's a good? He wants to start getting back out there, and what's a good balance? i was like, man, get out there as much as you can at this point because you've spent the time to get your music to a place that's really solid in a time in your life where you've had to, you know, be around home a lot more, and you've decided that's the perfect thing to do. But now you're thinking about it, it's time to get out there. Get out there and meet as many people as you can. Find all your people because that's synergy. Because if they're working on something that you're a part of, well, you're not working on it. You just doubled your output, assuming you're also working on something else at the same time. Or even if you were sleeping and they were working, you you were getting shit done. Well, you got rest. That's crazy. Synergy.
0: Toward the end of our time together, we have our segment called The 808, which is eight answers on eight questions.
1: <laughs> I love it.
0: So I'm asking these same questions of every guest. But yeah, we'll, uh, we'll jump into it. So question number one, what book has had the most profound impact on your production or your creativity?
1: The War of Art. The author talks about the difference between being an amateur and being a professional and the amateur shows up when they feel like it the professional shows up no matter what and does what they do that is a great book it has like a little quote from some famous person and then like one or two pages elaborating on why that's super dope and how it fits into the theme of the book and so it's like real real dope quick read given to you in little bite-sized bits but one of the great quotes was like some famous You know, writer from like 100 years ago was once asked, do you write when you're only when you're inspired or on a schedule? He says, oh, only when I'm inspired. Luckily for me, that's every day at nine. It's like, you know, if you show up every day to do your craft, that's going to be when you're there for it. You know, that's going to be when it's there for you.
0: I love that you said The War of Art. That's been a book that's really helped me push back against what the author uh, Stephen Pressfield calls the resistance. And the thing that I like about The War of Art is that instead of just saying, you know, anyone can say, well, if you want to produce more, just go and sit down and produce. But this is something that really everyone knows that you just need to sit down and produce. But I like the way he takes that and essentially writes in a way that as you read it, it's meant to break down that resistance, whatever thought pattern you have going on that is holding you back from actually getting down to the studio and sitting down and actually doing something. He's written it in such a way that it's really meant to break that down and get you in the mindset of telling yourself to break that down.
1: Yeah, his presentation is killer. I like how you put that. I hadn't thought about it that way, but yeah, you're totally right. He really does put it in a way that like breaks down what he knows is your own resistance is next objection to what he's saying. It's, it's beautifully done. And how he, I love how he shows you how your resistance gets projected on the people in your life. And we think, Oh, well, it's my parents. They're doing this or it's my girlfriend or it's my, you know, my job or whatever it is. But. You know who also has parents and significant others and employment? Every other musician who ever did anything. (laughs) Like This is a human constant, and everybody who made it, made it somehow. So how am I in my way, and how am I tricking myself into thinking that it's somebody else's fault? Because as soon as we get the picture that it really is coming from us, the, the resistance, and it really is our choice, then it becomes possible to break that pattern.
0: It's all about recognizing it.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah, he shows it beautifully.
0: (laughs) And shout out to uh, Spider Hound at Producer Dojo who had recommended that book to me because that's been a huge help.
1: Dope. Shout out to Spider Hound. Love that dude.
0: Question two. If you had to give a TED Talk on anything, but it couldn't be related to music production, what would it be about and what would we learn?
1: And gratitude. It would be about gratitude for sure. I heard it. I, I've been I've been coming towards towards gratitude like a lot lately, like the last few years, like realizing that you know that being grateful is just better. But then Carlos Santana. I was watching a Santana interview, and he said the phrase that really tied everything together, which puts a bow on the whole concept. He said, "You know, people are seeking happiness." But it's not possible to experience a state of happiness if you're not first experiencing a state of gratitude. If you're not grateful for what is, if you're feeling entitled, at a loss somehow, like you're owed something, you're not happy. And most people feel ungrateful in some way most of the time. And when you see people like, you know, you could take the same same person in a different circumstance, they'd be happy or unhappy. You take a different person in the same circumstance. You got one happy one, one unhappy one. One of them can say, all right, well, that should happen. What am I going to do next with my life? And the other one's like, why did this happen to me? It shouldn't have. And you're stuck in the past on some timeline tangent that doesn't really exist, you know, from, from before you got in that car accident or whatever, you know, your little fender bender. You could, woe is me all day, have it ruin your week. Or you could be like, well, shit, good thing I have insurance. Moving on. Back to the studio. I'll catch a bus.
0: (laughs) Yeah. And it's all about reframing those ideas and wherever we're at in our lives, reframing it and feeling gratitude for the things that we do have. Because everyone has their struggles and things that they have to overcome. But at the end of the day, we're all incredibly lucky. Even if you just have a really basic computer, basic DAW, just to have the outlet to create beats and to to make music and the fact that it's so accessible, it's never been more accessible than it is today. We're incredibly fortunate and, and lucky to to have that privilege.
1: Amen. Amen. And people think that the world's extra crazy today. I think we just like see more crazy shit because of the internet, but look at all the dopeness that the internet brings you every single day. You get to keep up with friends you would have lost touch with, hear about music you never would have experienced you know see crazy cool videos and and listen to this podcast right now goddamn blessings on blessings
0: <laughs> all about looking on the bright side
1: Ooh. yeah i mean be realistic but like then accept what happens like okay this is real i agree this is part of reality this is what i'm going through what's my best way through it what can i still be grateful i'm still breathing the sun's still shining you know like there's a couple of things <laughs> baseline that if you if you can see and breathe, that you're doing pretty good. <laughs> like find like that's a that's a baseline gratitude. You know, like I'm I'm grateful I'm still breathing today, even if it's a rough day. Today was a really good day. I had a couple rough moments, I guess, but I was still breathing the whole time. I'm good.
0: How do you practice gratitude? Do you journal? Is there something that you do specifically to be very conscious of being grateful?
1: Yes, yes. Um, so actually, on the only other podcast I've ever been interviewed on, Beats, Grind, and Life, you mentioned that. So shout out to Siren, Beats, Grind, and Life, another cool producer podcast. Check. He told me, we were talking about journaling, and I was talking about the artist's way, like opening up your creativity with free writes, right? And then, you know, I, part of my free write usually involves like what, you know, what I did in the day. I usually write at the end of the day now instead of in the morning, just because... I like, I like closing my day out with it, but he mentioned gratitude journaling. And I was like, tell me more. And it turns out, you know, part of this other book he read that had some really good life advice. He had started writing and he chose gratitude journaling, just writing pages of the things he's grateful for. So I like switched up my style and still journaled in the evening right before sleep. But instead of like listing what I did or talking about what happened that day, I just start every sentence with, Thanks for, or I appreciate that. I'm grateful that X happened. You know, so like a, a typical page in a journal would be like, "Yo, thank you," you know. Thanks for you know a good morning, breakfast. Thanks for some good work today. I went and made some money and built a fence. You know, thank you for uh, this dope podcast interview I got to do with Tusker. And thank you for the beats I'm going to make after I get off this interview. Thank you for, you know, the dinner I'm going to eat super late at night because I'm a night owl like that. <laughs> you know, like and then at the end of every page, I uh, I don't know where it came from. I completely forget. But my buddy, Kevin Stanley, who I met at the first ASCAP expo i ever went to told me he read in this book this dude said a you know secret to like gratitude reset your brain is say out loud three times thank you i have no complaints thank you i have no complaints thank you i have no complaints it's hard to feel bummy after you say that three times out loud and so like i also started writing that at the end of every page so the last three lines of the page Thank you. I have no complaints. Three times, and then put the bookmark in and put the journal down, and then like read a book for like a few minutes until I pass out because I'm usually up till like three, four, or five in the morning.
0: Question three What is your favorite key and tempo to produce in?
1: Yes, and oh. <laughs> all of the above. <laughs> I, have, I have yet to find a tempo. I've got a folder open on my thing of beats I've been making lately. You see, there's 100, 174, another 100, a 120. A ninety-eight, uh, one fifty, another one hundred. <laughs> you know, I've been doing a lot of stuff at like one sixty 160 to one sixty-four lately. Um, <laughs> but really, like, I've got stuff at every tempo. Like, I'll I've done DJ sets where I just go like through the whole tempo and like start back over where I was at the beginning. <laughs> just like keep slowly speeding, speeding up all night <laughs> until I'm until I'm slow again.
0: <laughs> Question four. Dream collab. If you could collab with anyone that you haven't already worked with, who would it be and why?
1: I'm going to say Bass Nectar, man. That dude, you know, I catch his live sets like every couple of years since 2007 now. So it's like the, he's the first EDM DJ I ever got to see Spin live. The first person that like really broke my brain with music in a way that I couldn't quite explain and never quite left me. And then aside from that, on the hip hop side, It'd be really cool to work with like Timbaland or Pharrell or something like that. That would be really dope. So many people, man. (laughs) So many people.
0: Question five. This goes back to what we were talking about constraints a little bit. If you could only use two VST instruments and three VST effects to make a track from, what would you choose and why?
1: Hmm. I'm a reason dude. So, until like a couple of years ago, I literally didn't own a single VST. So, my VST game is pretty new. And, to tell you the truth, aside from Serum, I am struggling to think of another actual VST instrument that I use. Like, most of my songs uh, are either using like samples I've curated, like packs I bought or stuff. My homies send me like waves to chop up, like stems or or loops. Uh, So really, aside from like, I would definitely pick serum though, because that shit's lit. Uh, And then that comes with serum effects already on it. Uh, yeah, I don't even know, man. I mean, aside from, I guess I I would go with Omnisphere because I've used that on other people's computers and there's just like an unending ocean of cool textures. And I love, I love writing melodies. So just give me a cool texture and I can find a melody in it. So yeah, I would say, I would say Serum and Omnisphere. And then, so this is, I'm only using these five things to make a track and like all my Reason native instruments, like all the, all the things that come with Reason, all my sample libraries. Are those all all fair grabs too?
0: We'll say those are all fair game.
1: All right, cool. So, so I can use stock shit yeah. and these five things. Yeah. Dope. So then it's definitely, I, I already got plenty of like reverbs and distortions and shit, but I really want Brower Motion because that shit is super dope. It's a Waves plugin that gives you two, actually, so three sounds. The one, the regular sound that's fed into it and then two different stereo panning oscillators. So like, it like, Takes a sound and just like makes it dance around in the whole background of a track or also the foreground if you wanted to do that. Nice. (laughs) It's really cool. Um, uh, And then I would say probably some fab filter shit, maybe like uh, Pro Q. And I guess, man, I need my mastering chain, <laughs> but that's probably in a different project. I'm definitely overthinking this. I don't use that many VSTs is what I'm trying to say. I got some I got some cool waves ones and some uh, and then I, I use Reason and a lot of actual literally like wave samples.
0: Because Reason does come with a lot of built in instruments that I, th- I think even Propellerhead makes some of those available as VSTs for other DAWs too, right?
1: Yeah, they've started doing that. Yeah, super smart on their part. Because really, honestly, that's one of their best qualities they have is that they have an actual super dope library of VST-like instruments. They're just not VSTs. You can only get them with Reason.
0: So a little bit of a side question, but how did you come to using Reason as your DAW?
1: All right, so shouts out to Budo, because if you go check the credits for Macklemore's 2017 album, Gemini, or his 2005 album, Language of My World, you'll see this cat, Budo, all over the production credits. I went to high school with his little brother, and at that time, Budo was all about reason. And so his little brother, Gabe Carp learned reason from his big brother. And then me and my buddy were making beats like on FL and Acid. And then we met up with Gabe and he was showing us Reason. We're like, damn, that's crazy. Uh, and then somehow we talked our school into like giving us the video lab for a session for a class and like getting some money to buy a lab license of Reason for like six computers and started making beats like three hours a day in senior year. <laughs>
0: Nice, and you've just kind of followed the progression of reason from from that point onward.
1: Yeah, reason replaced FL in my setup at that point. Like, I got I also got reason put on my shit at that point. So I had like version two point five way back in the day. You know, I got put on my computer on my you know the few of our computers that we had enough licenses. And then so I had that for a hot minute, and then you know I got like a torrent of reason five for a little while, which I was like, oh damn, it really upgraded some things. But then right after that, my brother was working at. Uh, Guitar Center at the time and he got me a good discount on the software like on a well first he got a an employee copy so I could have like the seven demo had almost everything and then they were like upgrade to eight for this much and it's real and so I just paid the whatever they were asking and I've had a real version since eight and then 9.5 they added the VSTs which is crazy and then I was about to go like buy a bunch of VST instruments and then Version 10, they added literally six new whole instruments. Wow! And an entire new sound library. I was like, "All right, well, I guess I don't need to buy anything now."
0: (laughs) That's that's a nice perk. Just knowing that you've got you know most of the things that you need all in one spot.
1: Oh, and then just now there was like 10.4, an update I blinked and missed. And, it, and there's a whole new instrument, a whole new synthesizer in there that I put like four patches I really love into my June uh, beat palette. And God, that shit's killing it. Like, <laughs> why would I go buy stuff when Reason keeps giving me free shit for what I already paid for?
0: <laughs> exactly. Get yourself a DAW that makes that question hard to answer. Yeah.
1: And yo, just for everybody else out there, if y'all use Ableton or Logic or, or whatever you use and you love it, don't. Keep it. A reason for the low, low price of like 400 bucks or less will give you insane amounts of new sounds and it slaves into any other DAW. So you can just use it as a big VST full of VSTs. They should start paying me. I, I talked them up so much. <laughs> I really, I really need to be a Reason rep. I'm putting that back out in the universe. I put it out there once and got somebody's email, but then he didn't email me back. So I'm putting it out there again. I want to be some sort of rep or consultant for Reason i've been using this shit since 2002 so holla at me
0: (laughs) all right if anyone from reason hq is listening get luke on board
1: yeah yeah sorry for torrenting five but it convinced me to go actually buy it so hey.
0: (laughs) question six and we've we've already alluded to it in our conversation but to kind of wrap that portion of what we talked about up nicely how do you know when it's time to finish a song versus when it's time to throw in the towel?
1: These days, when Dylan says it's finally done and this really really long laundry list of things I've had to fix that get increasingly more nitpicky are finally done. He's like this is dope, we'll send it to mastering. That's what happened with Katana's. Yay! So, check one. I got my brown belt. <laughs> but um I mean other than that, you just got to be okay. You just got to be okay letting go at a certain point. Like we can't be this precious with our with our music. Like that's why you got to make quantity, right? Like if you've made two songs ever, they're literally your children. If you've made like 50, they're like your fam extended family. If you've made a thousand, they're like seeds you throw at a garden and see what happens. You know, hey, well, I got this pack of seeds for free. It was unlabeled. I wonder what'll grow. Let's just huck it at the dirt. You know, it's like, we got a thousand. It doesn't matter. Something will happen, right? So like be about that shit when you're making it and then stop treating it so precious because that will, shit really won't help. <laughs> you know what I mean? You know, especially like, because people get butt hurt about criticism when the songs are that precious to them. Like my early songs, I would get all sorts of butt hurt if somebody hated, you don't like me. <laughs> but now it's like, well, I've made thousands of those. You don't like that one? Cool, I'll make a couple more today. See if you dig one of those.
0: That's a great analogy and and really speaks to that importance of of being able to let go. Mm -hmm. And uh, I totally agree with you'll maybe take the criticism uh, more to heart on your very first things that you submit for feedback. And the funny thing is with time and with experience, you can go back and see those tracks and be like, yeah, they definitely had a point. Like, and what I'm making now is also way better than what I was making then.
1: Mm -hmm. Amen to that, man. Yeah. That's what I'm telling people like, yo, it's, it's not about like, especially when you're starting out, it's not about finishing tracks. It's about finishing drafts. Just make another iteration, especially if you got somebody to give you dope feedback. If you don't have anybody to give you dope feedback, take it until you really don't know what to do. The first time you really don't know what to do and just bounce the shit to your iTunes and start a new thing and keep doing that until you have enough to like start showing people and then you start getting some feedback. First, it'll probably just be your homies and they'll be like, that's dope or that sucks and it doesn't really matter. Just like figure out what vibes they're feeling. Just start to get a feel and get used to having people hear your shit.
0: Great advice. Question seven. In the past six months, what have you purchased for $100 or less that has had the greatest impact on your music production?
1: I'm staring at it. The Akai MPK Mini Mark II, of course, with a little joystick. (laughs) Man, it's it's a 25-key, 8-pad, 8-knob controller with a little joystick for the mod wheel and a pitch bend. They're $99 at Guitar Center. And I recommend them to everybody. I got a little $15 case that puts you over a hundred bucks, but I recommend it on Amazon. And that thing fits in my backpack and goes with me everywhere I go. Like I've got other keyboards, I've got other pads, I've got a MIDI fighter, I got cool stuff to, to make MIDI out of. But this one fits in my go bag and goes with me everywhere. I love this thing.
0: It's kind of like the all-in-one solution, especially something that's portable. That's so important if you're going somewhere and the inspiration strikes just to be able to get that idea out quickly and efficiently
1: amen yeah and i I love the pads and the keys because certain things you really need one or the other (laughs) plus it's got a sweet note repeat and arpeggiator function that i like to use uh, a lot especially on the hi-hats it feels like fast hi-hats just put it on like 30 second note repeat and just go to make sure they know i'm trapped jesus
0: (laughs) question eight If you could go back in time, what would you tell yourself when you were in your first six months of producing music?
1: Man, speed up. (laughs) Stop breaking up your creative flow to search for sounds. That was probably my biggest detriment, which is why I preach to everybody that should set up these palette templates, because that thing costs me more time than anything else.
0: In a way, being more deliberate about when you're going to do that that sample searching, or you know, making that palette or template, versus the time that you actually spend sitting down and making something from that.
1: Yeah, that's you know, that was basically the first huge lesson I really internalized at Producer Dojo was separate your prep time and your sound design time and your library maintenance time and your curation time from your actual song writing time and keep that as well separate from the editing time. Writing and editing are meant to happen at the same time. In literary works, they're not even done by the same people. (laughs) You know, you got to give that, you're an author, you write it and you give your chapters to somebody else and they read it and make notes and help you figure out where it makes sense and where it doesn't. You know, as a producer, we got to do the same thing. Like even if you're giving yourself notes, like write it, then go back and listen to it and write some notes. Like, oh, the kick is too loud. The snare is too quiet. The bridge is annoying. Whatever you want to write down. And just like give yourself a little checklist to go back into the dot with. Just like you would if you had a, you know, a friend look it over, you know, or a, or a mentor. I always kind of get like a little laundry list of of things from Spider Hound or or Dylan or whoever I'm getting feedback from. And. You know, sometimes I'll just show it to a producer, homie, be like it's pretty dope. I just show them like that kick sample or something. It'll give me some tiny little thing. I'll listen and be like, damn, you're right. If I just switch out that kick, this beat'll be way better. <laughs> you know, like, but get, get it out there.
0: All right. And with the 808 wrapped up, uh, last couple questions. What's something that you want to say to listeners of this podcast before we sign off?
1: Believe in yourself, but you got to figure out who that self is before the belief really actually takes hold. People looking for them, you know, trying to find myself, but you just got to go out and like live and follow your joy, like actually follow your joy. If something is super cool to you and you really like enjoy investing your energy into learning more about it, do that as much as possible, (laughs) you know, like, and then that's, you know, that's the way to find yourself is like, where do I actually feel like I'm at home? Where do I actually feel like I'm excited about my life And, and keep doing that. And if there's something in your life that you don't like, try and either figure out a way to reframe it. So you're like, well, I'm doing this because it's going to give me money and then I'll have the money to buy that new software I need to make new records. You know, like start putting everything like, so since we're talking about music, start putting everything in terms of the music. Like, all right, well, yeah, I don't really want to go build a fence today, but that guy will definitely pay me more for that fence than somebody will pay me for a beat today. So I'm going to go get that fence money and leverage that fence money to give me more time in the studio, to give me a trip to wherever I got to go next month, to do something musical out of town, etc. You know, just start, start putting that as whatever you find. And for us musicians, it's music, man. Find a way to put everything in that context and put that at the center of your world, the thing that really brings you joy. And you said something earlier, man. Everybody goes through struggles. Something I wanted to bring up. I'm glad I thought of this to close out. I believe that life will meet everybody with the struggle wherever we are. No matter what our circumstances is, there is a struggle there. Like if you are so poor and homeless, you got nothing. Your struggle is like, how do I stay warm and eat today? And if you're super rich, your struggle is probably like, are any of these people in my life here for me or is it all the money? So the most unfortunate, the most fortunate person you could think of have a real valid struggle in their life. And all the rest of us are somewhere in between. So no matter where you are, the struggle will find you. If you all you do is show up to job, there's something at, at that job that's going to piss you off and be a struggle. But if you decide to go struggle at music, the thing that you love more, put your struggle there as hard as you can. It's like Fight Club. The volume gets turned down on everything else. Who cares about the job? I got something dope to do with this job money after I'm done doing the job today. And so it's up to us to define our struggle, figure out which, which set of problems you prefer to solve this lifetime and dive into them. <laughs> and like the Taoist philosophy says, you know, know the way broadly and you'll see it in all things. Like whatever you learn being a music producer, really diving into this. there will be so many things where you learn something because really it's all people you're learning how to deal with yourself and you're learning how to deal with others. Like nothing else really comes up that doesn't, that's not tied to people, you know, except for things that people call acts of God, which why I sit around worrying about that (laughs) is happening anyways. Yeah. That's what I want to close with. Find your own struggle. The one is worth it.
0: And uh, last but not least, uh, if people want to check out your music, or if they maybe even want to book sessions with you at the producer dojo and, and level up their music game, where can people find you uh, on the web and on social media?
1: Man, I'm on most of those platforms. For Trap Jesus, look for at what would Trap Jesus do? Or, you know, you can search Trap Jesus. if It has my logo, the... You know, the the hair and the beard and the sunglasses and the halo silhouette, (laughs) uh, black and white. You'll know it's me. You know, search Trap Jesus. Or you could look for my Luke Rain project at Luke Rain Music. Or check my websites out. It's uh, LukeRainMusic.com. Or you could go to uh, TrapJess.us. T-R-A-P-J-E-S dot U-S.
0: All right. Spelling it out one more time for everyone. I'm going to
1: spell my name one more time. Check Check it.
0: (laughs) Ha ha. Right on. Trap Jesus Luke Rain. Thank you so much for speaking with me today for Beats and Risers. It's the time has flown by and it's been awesome getting your insights on producing and just going for that speed and that quantity.
1: Hey man, man. Yo, this has been so much fun for me too. Thanks for having me on, man. Like like I said, this music thing and talking about it with other music people is my favorite thing. So thank you for helping me pursue my joy today.
0: Thank you again to Trap Jesus, aka Luke Rain, for speaking with me today. You can learn more about him and his music at lukerainmusic.com. He's also at Luke Rain Music on Twitter, Instagram, and SoundCloud. And you can find Trap Jesus at What Would Trap Jesus Do on Instagram and SoundCloud as well. If you want to book a session and learn from him, you can do that through Producer Dojo. The address is producerdojo.com. If you enjoyed today's podcast, please subscribe to Beats and Risers over at Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Links to everything we've talked about in this episode, from plugins to producers we've mentioned, can be found in the show notes, which you can find over at beatsandrisers.com. That's beatsandrisers.com. My name is Tusker. I'm the host and producer of this podcast. And if you'd like to get the latest updates from me and about the Beats and Risers podcast, subscribe to the Tusk list. That's my weekly mailing list. You'll find the link at my website, tusker.com. That's T V S-K-E-R.com. Or you can follow me on social media at Tusker on Twitter and at Tusker Music on Instagram. I'd love to hear your thoughts about today's podcast as well. What was your biggest takeaway from my conversation with Luke Rain? Send me an email, podcast at beatsandrisers.com or at beatsandrisers on Twitter and Instagram. Thank you, thank you so much for listening to today's episode of Beats and Risers. I'm so excited for the conversations that are coming up on the podcast and I really hope that you'll subscribe and tune in. So until next time, be kind to one another, Go out there and make more music.